Good morning. The scripture reading for today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, from the message. Friends, you're not in the dark, so how could you be taken off guard? You're sons of light, daughters of day. We live under wide open skies and know where we stand. So let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we're creatures of day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. Whether we are awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we are alive with him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. Get along amongst yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs, and be careful that when you get on that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you to God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. Don't suppress the spirit and don't stifle those who have a word from the master. Friends, keep up your prayers for us. So this is uh, on the theme of prayer. Now, you might not have heard of Irenaeus uh, way back, early church theologian, second century. He lived in Lyon, Bishop of Lyon in the south of France. And he had this to say, you might have heard this quote, the one that he's most famous for probably. The glory of God is the human fully alive. The glory of God is the human fully alive. Which is a remarkable way of putting something. I mean, it reminded me of what Stephen's been trying to get us to think about as the exemplary human life, you know, the life lived in full high definition. The glory of God as a human fully alive. And Christians, we've been given this message very firmly for the last few weeks. Christians have been called not so much to be religious, there's a lot of religion that is basically stomach-turning, right? It's a lot of religiosity that we could do without. Christians are called to live a life that is in high definition. In other words, to give all the focus on what does it mean to be living our life in the way that is most generous, most justice-seeking, most compassionate, most focused on generosity and unselfish life in the world around us. What does it look like to have a life lived well? So living your life to the full and having your life in high definition and when I was here a few weeks ago, I did pick up on this theme about how does it happen that we live any sort of good life at all? And I said Pentecost, that was the time I was preaching. Pentecost is partly about the breath of Jesus. We, we used that beautiful image of the G, Jesus on the cross dying and giving out his last breath. And then we read this almost poetic version of how that breath escalates and, and, and amplifies until it becomes the breath of Pentecost that fills us up. And then we, we feel like we're, we're living a life that isn't just about us. We're living a life that is infused and inbreathed by the breath of Jesus. 
And that's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. So when I said that a few weeks ago, I said any goodness, any generosity, any unselfishness in us has to be something to do with Jesus at work in our lives. It's all about Jesus being able to breathe life into us as the humble followers, trying to muddle through and work out what it means to live our life in that way. Now, it might sound really mystical and strange to talk about God's breath or Jesus' breath coming into us. And I thought, well, it is. It is slightly unusual to talk about that as if we have not just our own lung action, but something else happening inside of us. But you know what that mystical stuff is all about? It's really simply simple. It's like saying that is what it is to pray. To pray, to learn to pray, is to get openness to the Spirit of Jesus breathing in us, in us and out of us. So I'm glad that I'm here on part two of the Pentecost sermon, which is really not just be aware of the fact that Jesus wants his life to live through us, but this is how we operationalize that. Opening ourselves to the breath of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, who wants to be in us, and for what purpose? To make us able to show off and be pompous about the fact that we're super spiritual? Absolutely not. To get us to be down on our knees in public spaces and show what Christians we are? No, not to be religious. The point of us being able to bring the Jesus breath in and out of us through prayer is to become these people that Stephen's talked about, the people living their lives in a less blurry way, less pixelated, less sort of grainy, but just pure, distilled humanness, which is a life that is Jesus' life living in us. So I've got three things to say, predictably. Actually, you know memory. We work on threes. A lot of the stories you grow up with as children have three bits to them, because that's how our brains can connect. So we've got three themes. The first is that prayer is being awake, which is why I've given you this text, because it's really vivid. Uh, friends, you're not in the dark, so how could you be taken off guard? You're sons of light, daughters of day. We live under wide open skies and know where we stand, so let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes open be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we're creatures of day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and in the hope of salvation. Whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we're alive with him. I know that praying is often connected with bedtime routines <laughs> and closing our eyes and getting off to sleep. Oh, it's, it's associated with... Uh, you know, maybe turning off the street into a darkened cathedral or large church space and dropping to our knees in a pew with candlelit, sort of dark, shadowy surroundings. But you know, praying is actually about waking up. It's, it, it's the most apparent, the most relevant image of praying is having our eyes wide open and moving away from the shadows into the wide open horizons of what is God doing in the world under the open skies. Paul writes. And you know, we get dragged down, bludgeoned by a million or a thousand messages daily that come at us from the society's cues, like, you know, the advertisements, everything else. We're getting pressurized and, and drilled into us a sort of a version of the world that is really just like walking through the night, sleepwalking. And so when we pray, we're actually opening our eyes to the world as God has made it to be. It's a way of trying to stop ourselves from just being 
as I say, sleepwalkers, in, in a state of bewilderment and shadows. And it's a way of us saying when we open our eyes in prayer, we see the world in a wholly different way. I'm going to really mix my metaphors now because Origen, who's another early church theologian, he compared the act of praying to being like when you wake up and he said praying is like being slightly drunk and you're not quite sure when you put one foot in front of the other you're going to not, not going to fall over. So he said praying produces in you a sense of complete disorientation where you don't know whether you're going to fall over when you put one foot in front of the other. Because actually you've lost touch with the gravitational forces that are normally present in society. Praying gets you to drop out. Praying gets you to work out that this is not the world that God intended in the way that God intended it. This is the way God wants the world to be. Anne Lamott, I was showing that article in the New York Times the other day. She wrote about prayer in response to the guy that was being criticised for for praying on his knees with, uh, was it a baseball team or football team or something, anyway. But she wrote this very interesting piece, and she used this word, she used this phrase, prayer breaks the toxic trance. And she was referring to the way that we get sucked in to mesmerizing versions of the world, and prayer breaks that hold on us. She says, when Moses met God for the first time, he was told to take off his shoes. And so must we learn to say that the ground we're standing on is not the ground we thought it was. The world we inhabit is not the world we think it is. And only if we can do that, take off our shoes, if you like, open our eyes in prayer, can we begin to learn what it is to live in God's world in the way that God intended it. So use a pew. I've often been confused in the other church where I go, whether the pew is, whether you're supposed to kneel or stand to pray. It seems that we got confused these days. We've got pews with these things that clash down in the middle of the service, but we only use them sparingly. So I don't know, use, use your knees, use pews, use buildings, use darkness, use candles, go on retreat, do whatever is possible. But the most important thing is not going to sleep in prayer, it's about having your eyes opened in prayer. We need all the help we can get, right? to get unhitched from the pressures and perspectives that dominate. And sometimes I feel like we should do more kneeling and we should do even more lying on the ground. Have you ever prayed lying completely on the ground? People may think you're doing that in a... Do it in private. Don't do it in a public <laughs> space. But it is a really powerful way of saying, I'm dropping out. I'm not going to get my life the way that people think it should be organized. So maybe we need to do that. Prayer is having our lives disorientated by God. The words of Leslie Newbegin, I quoted him last time, the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where Jesus is on the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. You could say that about prayer. So Leslie Newbegin said that about mission, but it could be like the real definition of prayer. The primary meaning of praying is that it puts us with Jesus where Jesus is, it opens our eyes to the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. Opening our eyes, right? So that's the prayer is an opening eye experience, eye-opening experience. And then second, prayer is intimacy, which really goes without saying. Christian prayer is about intimacy, because when they ask Jesus, how do we te teach us how to pray? What is, what's the first 
words that Jesus says in, in response to his followers, saying, teach us how to pray. He says, our Father. Pray like this, our Father. Now that word, Abba, as you probably know, is the earliest utterance that a child in Aramaic or Hebrew, nowadays Arabic and other languages, would use, Abba, Abba, to refer to their parent, right? And it's like us saying, Mama, Dada. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Abba, which is a tremendously radical version of how to approach the sovereign Lord of the universe. But it's it's recognized as being distinctive and important, and it's picked up again and again and again in the New Testament. So Paul, for example, refers to it when he says in Galatians, because you're children, God has sent the spirit of his son, which is what I was referring to earlier. He has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a child. Intimacy and prayer. This is what I want to talk about. When you, when you get it into your head that, that God is on that level, it doesn't half change your sense of whether it's appropriate to say this or do this in prayer. Anything goes. It, literally, do not be put off by wondering whether your prayers are the right way to do it whether the right phrases have come to mind, whether you've been distracted or not. Just be yourself in the the company of God. Because you know what? You cannot do a bad prayer. The Christian cannot do a bad prayer any more than a child can do a bad colouring with colouring cranes. I mean, I've got two six-year-olds. They're getting better, but originally it was like a real difficult thing to try and work out how to respond to their offerings, right? You'd have a lot of a a pink and purple grassy verge, and then a tree that looked more like a skyscraper, and then you'd have a cloud that was made out of jazzy colors, and you didn't know whether it was a monster or a cloud, but you just love it. You'd say, this is an amazing piece of art. You should be up in the, the Met. You know, you go over, overboard, don't you, with your child. You can't do a bad coloring if you're four or five or even six. And in the same way, if we start to remember that with God, we cannot do a bad prayer, that it's like coming up to our Heavenly Father, Abba, and getting up onto his knee and showing him something. That is the type of intimacy that we are encouraged to believe is possible and, in fact, normal in our praying. So you can pray about everything and anything. You can pray about the and you can pray about stuff that is of no consequence and relevant to everybody else except you. And do not be embarrassed, okay? If you want to pray for more than a couple of minutes, it is work. It is, takes concentration. But I think what we need to work on, perhaps, is the, the simple act of whenever you go anywhere, whether you walk or bus or cycle or drive, or train, whatever you're doing, is work out a way of having this type of intimacy where your f- thought patterns change around from just being all about you and your hopes and your fears and your ambitions and your ego and just start to, to return to your heavenly parent. Is there a way we can do that? Yes. It's been tried and tested over the generations. You can use a very brief phrase, like one I use a lot is Abba on the, on the in-breath. Abba, I belong to you. You just say that like a mantra again and again. You say it in, Abba, I belong to you. And you don't speak it out loud, you say it in your head, but it feels like you're making your way back from your distractedness to being present to God. 
And it's not like you have to think it through in heavy. You just, just use it as a way of bringing yourself into the presence of God. As you're walking, as you're cycling, as you're on the subway, whatever. And maybe that's what is used, that's what's meant by the phrase in the same text that we had read about praying without ceasing or pray always. It's like this idea that you can bring your thinking and think it in front of God. I use, I use a longer prayer. There are other short prayers, by the way, like the one that everyone knows is the Jesus prayer, Jesus have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus have mercy on me, a sinner. You can use that as a way of settling in and the, in the rhythm of your breathing or the rhythm of your walking, whatever you're doing. Or you can use the one that is, come to my help, O God, Lord, hurry to my rescue. And say that again and again and again. I use a longer prayer that I learned from the Northumbria community in England. And uh, it's one that I use because it lasts a bit longer and it helps me to feel like I'm actually moving from just brief encounters with a slightly more sustained involvement with God. And it's, it starts off with Psalm 27. It's the one thing I've asked of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And then it goes on, one thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That's the repeat of myself. Then it says, who do you seek? Do you seek, we seek the Lord our God. Do you seek him with all your heart? Amen, Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your soul? Amen, Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your mind? Amen, Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your strength? Amen, Christ, have mercy. And it goes on into... Well, I, I won't repeat it, but it's, it's a very powerful prayer that I use. It ends up with the phrases, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Christ as a light, illumine and guide me. Christ as a shield, overshadow me. Christ under me, Christ over me. Christ beside me on my left and my right. This day be within and without me. Anything you can do to help become able to walk or move around the city with a current of prayer in your life, Memorize prayers, just a few seconds with your breathing or even a longer prayer. And then I want to, to finish with this. Prayer is not just about your solo heroic activity of I'm going to be a, a, a praying sort of Christian, which is the only Christian you can be actually. A praying Christian is a, it's a tautology. But I want it to be a corporate process, a corporate action. It's a, comp it's a corporate and a companionable thing. You don't just pray in, in privacy, although that's an important part of it. You also do it collectively. You know Jesus, in the last moments of his life, when he was struggling with this expectation of being arrested and tried and then executed, he was in a garden at night, Gethsemane, and there's this very incre this incredible vulnerability that we see in him, that he's... he's, he's almost profusely sweating in the ways that it's almost like blood from an open wound. He's clawing at the ground, and he's saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, pass me by. And he's wrestling in that. That's in a moment of incredible uh, vulnerability. But notice that within that, and he gets to the point of being able to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. But within that, he keeps on retiring, going back to where his friends were supposed to be, and he, he actually reprimands them for not being awake and praying. They look like uh, sacks of potatoes, sort of like heaving under the... It's like sitting there, like, fully asleep. Large, burly people that are just, like, supposed to be his 
you know, his companions at this moment of his greatest need, and they're completely out for the count. And he shakes them away. He says, why can't you pray with me? So if Jesus needed companionship in prayer, who are we to say that we don't need to do it together? It's something which um, I know in, in churches that I've been part of, it can almost feel a bit embarrassing if one of you is too eager to pray. And, you know, it would be a really good evening. You're, you're chilling out, you're doing whatever you're doing together as a group. And then somebody says, can we pray? And it's like, <sighs> there's a feeling of, like, disappointment that somebody's got to say that. And it was a really cool evening and everyone was included and nobody felt excluded. And now you're going to pray? I wish that wasn't the way it feels. I wish it didn't cause that recoil. I hope that more of us can have the risk of saying, I think we could pray. And I don't mean get super spiritual and oppressive. And I don't mean disregard the feelings of people who might be uncomfortable. But I do feel we should press through that too cool to pray sort of recoil. I feel like we need to do it because this society, this culture that we're embedded in, wants to shut us out of that. It wants to totally disconnect us from that lifeline of prayer. So whenever you get together, whether it's in a big group, small group, couple, whether it's with your kids or whether it's with friends or even people that you hardly know that you've just met, and even, dare I say it, with somebody who's a relative stranger that you're talking to on the bus stop, just be daring enough to think about a, an audible prayer. One of the most beautiful ways of praying is to say uh, where somebody's talking to you about some trauma or experience that is a really big emergency, is to sit with them and say, do you mind if I just tell, you, tell Jesus what you've just told me? And you repeat, almost word for word, what the person that's sitting with you has been telling you, but you're saying it to Jesus on their behalf. You're not claiming to have the prayer of healing or the prayer of intervention. Although that might be what you're led to. Don't let me discount that. But I just feel sometimes our compassion, our empathy can come through more distinctively in greater definition if we do it in that way. But you have to take a risk, don't you? Praying is intimacy. Praying is open-eyed awareness that God's world is not the way that our chaotic world is. And prayer is about our collective companionship in saying, don't be so easily let off the hook when it comes to the end of a, of a time together. Christian friendship can go that deeper element, can have that deeper element within it. And if we're doing it with Sabbath, aren't we? I mean, we're trying to hold each other in a gentle accountability about keeping some sort of Sabbath in our weeks. And we don't mind talking about that and saying, how is it all going? Well, I think we should do that with our praying because it's so countercultural, And that's the gist of the last bit of the reading that was look for the best in each other. This, this Paul goes on to talk about in Thessalonians, always doing your best to bring the best out of each other. I know he wasn't talking about prayer, but he could have been. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time, he says. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you, who belong to Christ, to live. Don't suppress the Spirit. And don't stifle those who have a word from the Master. Friends, keep up your prayers for us. So I'm going to just pray for us now. Bringing to mind the image of a child approaching a parent, we say, Abba, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to drop out and be open to your ways in the world and your possibilities for each of us. Help us to, to speak to you as often as we can. 
to pray without ceasing. And help us to be the sort of community which takes the risk of praying out loud with each other. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fall upon us as at Pentecost and to let us be filled with the breath of Jesus so that we might be living the good life, living deeply your new life, because your death, Jesus, triggered life in us and your resurrection led to the Spirit breathed out. We receive you now. Amen.